Welcome to the Jill on Money Coronavirus Market Update. It's Saturday morning and it's Memorial Day weekend. And for this Memorial Day weekend, we are doing something a little bit different. Want to make sure that we're honoring our military people out there who serve and who have given their lives. And so Mark came up with this great idea, and that is that we pulled an interview that we conducted with Admiral William McRaven a few years back. And we're cutting it up into three successive days of podcasts for you guys. Now, some of you may have heard the original, maybe you didn't, but I think you're really going to enjoy this. He is uh, just a delightful and gentle man. It's hard to believe he's a warrior. He was the mastermind behind the Bin Laden raid. He was so easy to talk to. Uh, my my nephew died in Iraq in 2006, so he made it really um a seamless conversation. And you'll also notice that Mark did something rather clever for today and tomorrow's broadcast. He cut up part of McRaven's University of Texas commencement speech, which led him to write his book, Make Your Bed. So I hope you enjoy this. Of course, you can still send us questions. Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. But here's the first part of our three days with Bill McRaven. This is going to be goofy because you are here and you're talking really amazing 10 steps that really will resonate with everybody listening, no matter who you are and what you do. But before we start the show, because this is sort of a money show, what is the best financial or career decision you ever made in your life? Marrying my wife. Nice. His wife is here, ladies and gentlemen. She's giving a thumbs up. And uh, yeah, she was good. She kept you on the straight and she narrow. She kept me on the straight and narrow. And, uh, and, you know, when you go through those rough moments in your life, uh, it's great to have uh, somebody like that to help you through them. Describe just a little bit about having to, to present the president with options. Will he then say, Bill, what do you, what's your, what do you think? Or, uh, or do you immediately say, here are your five options. This is what I think you should no, do. No, no. Uh, at least with President Obama, and I, I have not uh, met uh, President Trump, so I can't speak to President Trump. But I'm sure the process is pretty much the same, which, again, the military leaders will come in and they will provide options. Now, if the president says, what is your, you know, your number one option, then they're certainly prepared to provide that. But invariably, there's a dialogue, as there was uh, with President Obama during the, the bin Laden raid. And uh, I can tell you the president, uh, President Obama, asked a lot of good questions, hard questions. What are the risks involved? Uh, what are our chances of success? I mean, these are kind of natural questions that the president will ask the military leaders. And so when President Obama s asked some of those hard questions, right. give me an example of some of the, like, what would he have asked? Well, uh, the president always wants to know the risk, uh, the risk to the force. But in the case of the bin Laden raid, uh, President Obama wanted to understand, okay, if, if I agree to this raid, then uh, how much risk will be, what is the, the threat to your men on the ground? Uh, and how are you going to mitigate mitigate that risk? And so this is part of the plan that any military commander has to bring to a president is, you know, force protection, get the mission done, make sure you're protecting the force as best you can, explain the risks to the president of the United States. And uh, is there ever a time where the president asked you a question and it made you rethink your position? Uh, in the case of the bin Laden yeah. raid, uh, yes. I mean, uh, in, in terms of tightening up the 
planning on the mission. Uh, again, I gave the president uh, kind of a broad option. Look, we'll, we'll do a helicopter raid. Uh, we'll get on the ground. But if we encounter the Pakistanis, we have this option, this option, or this option. And so the president and, and, uh, and myself and, and a number of members of the national security team talked through those and helped refine the plan. Was the bin Laden raid, which obviously it went in, in your direction, um, were there, did you have apprehension about it? No, never. Really? How come? No, because I, I knew what my forces were capable of doing. This was not a terribly complex mission. Uh, it was a long helicopter ride, about 162 miles from Afghanistan into Abbottabad, Pakistan. Uh, but I knew the SEALs were you know, highly trained. They were all combat veterans. The helicopter pilots were all combat veterans. Uh, we had uh, you know, good overhead surveillance. Uh, we had appropriate packages in the event they got into trouble. So we had a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D. Uh, and I was very confident that uh, we could carry out any one of those uh, if we needed to. So, uh, so no, I, I wasn't, uh, I mean, again, you're always worried about the safety of your troops. Uh, they're, they're your men in this case, and I wanted them all to come back safely, but we also wanted to accomplish the mission. I was confident we could do both. And you did it. And we were we were fortunate uh, we did it. The guys did it. The guys did it. That's yeah. pretty great. I, I don't know why, but like I always think that with, uh, and I, I told you before we went on the air that I have, uh, you know, come married into a military family. And uh, I always, it was striking to me that it never seemed like uh, like our nephew would talk about being fearful. But you have to be afraid in these in, in various missions. What made you afraid in along the way? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, you have to be a little bit scared uh, because that's kind of what keeps uh, keeps you on edge and, and keeps you looking for uh, potential uh, problem areas. You know, where are you going to get ambushed? Uh, how's the helicopter going to get from point A to point B? Uh, if you're not scared going into these missions, then you, you probably haven't been on them before. Um, I mean, you ought to have a little bit of heightened sense of anxiety. And I think every operator does. But uh, the flip side of that is you're very well trained and and you recognize that your training and the support you have from the other members of uh, your team or the military are going to be there to help you out. So, you know, whatever that apprehension is, uh, I think, again, you can reduce some of that uh, concern by realizing you've got great teammates. All right. So when were you scared? Come on, come plain here. Besides <laughs> well, I was scared what? a lot. Were you scared walking down the aisle with this lovely lady? Oh, no. That, that part never scared me. That was easy. So what was scary? Like, give me, a, give me an instance where you were like, oh, my God, I am scared. Yeah, you know, for me as a as a commander, again, during Iraq and Afghanistan, I wasn't, you know, a frontline troop. Uh, so I didn't have to go out you know, into combat every day like these, you know, young rangers, uh, young special forces, uh, officers and NCOs, the SEALs, the Delta Force operators, the helicopter pilots, everybody that supported us. I mean, you know, this this 9-11 generation was in hard combat every day. My job was really to ensure we had a kind of a strategic and operational look at it. So uh, most of the time, I wasn't in harm's way day in and day out. Now, having said that, you know, I'd try to go out on a, a mission with them about once a month just to make sure, one, they, they saw me as a combat leader that, you know, wasn't afraid to take some risk, wasn't afraid to, you know, endure the hardships that they had to endure. And that's important, I think, for any leader. Uh, having said that, my greatest concerns were always to the troops on the ground, because every night... Uh, we had overhead surveillance. We had predators that we could watch the action unfold in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, when you are back and you are watching these young men, sometimes in firefights, 
um, as good as they are, uh, they're your troops. And so if, if, if I was ever concerned or anxious, it was always about the welfare of the troops uh, more in the middle of a, of a combat situation than, than at any other time. Now to kind of shift gears. In okay. 2014, 14. you're delivering a commencement speech at the University of Texas, right? Right. And first of all, how did that come about? Who, who asked you to do that? Well, the president uh, of the University, Bill Powers, uh, asked me uh, to come do the commencement speech at my alma mater, uh, the University of Texas at Austin, and, uh, and I was thrilled to have the opportunity to do it. Uh, and it, uh, it it turned out to be just a you know fantastic night in Austin in May, uh, and and uh, you know eight thousand students and about uh, twenty thousand of their parents and best friends. Uh, it was a great evening. And from that commencement speech comes this slim, elegant, and really terrific book Thanks. called Make Your Bed. Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room. And the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough battle-hardened SEALs, but the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter, if you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, <laughs> that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Let's start with why you wanted to turn. First of all, by the way, everyone go and check out the speech because it's been downloaded 10 million times, something to that effect. But what made you want to turn into a book? You know, every day, uh, literally every single day since the speech, Saturdays and Sundays included, somebody comes up to me and says, I make my bed. Or, you know, I don't ring the bell. Or I don't back down from the sharks. Um, but after they tell me that, then they always ask me, what was it that inspired you? You know, tell me about your experience as a sugar cookie. Tell me about uh, how you, you know, didn't back down. Or who were the people that inspired you? And, you know, for several years, I, I was just busy, didn't have time to do it, and finally had an opportunity to, it's a small gift book, uh, but I think it has broad appeal. Uh, this is not just a book for commencement. I, I think it's a book for anybody that goes through life that has to deal with, with failures, that has, um, you know, great dark moments in life that they have to overcome. Um, so the book was really about uh, people that inspired me. And let's just start with uh, the number one, which is the title of the book, Make Your Bed. Why is making your bed so important? Well, you know, at least uh, when I was being raised, my father was an Air Force officer and my, uh, my mother was a school teacher in Texas. And, uh, and my mother ensured, more so than my father, that I made my bed every day. But as a young kid, you don't really understand why other than your mom wanted you to make your bed. When I got to SEAL training, uh, it was something that the SEAL instructors came in and inspected every day. 
And I didn't really understand it at first. Look, we're, we're here to be, you know, real SEAL warriors. Why are we worried about making our bed? And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have this epiphany, which is they recognize that it was kind of the first task of the day. And, uh, and if you start off your day right by taking a little pride and making your bed, it's a simple task. And if you do it well, then other tasks will come and then you'll complete the next task. And, and so it's kind of the first rung on the ladder in the course of your day. But the other thing about making your bed is it shows that if you do the little things well, then maybe you can do the, the bigger things well. And the SEAL instructors would make sure if you can't make your bed, if you can't make those hospital corners right, if you don't know how to put your you know, wool blanket at the foot of the bed, if you can't take the time to make your bed correctly, how will you ever be a good SEAL running a, an important mission? So learn to do the little things right, and then that'll help you do the big things right. Okay, that's your Saturday broadcast of the Coronavirus Market Update. If you've got financial questions, of course, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email, askjill at jillonmoney.com. As you go out and about, wash your hands, cover your face with those masks, and please don't let our guard down here. Come on, we've come too far in the last few months to put ourselves at risk maintain that social distancing and know that we are here to try to help you out. You now have to go and help someone else out. So go out and lift somebody up whatever way you possibly can. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 